When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. I have Samantha Irby on Lit Up this week. She is one of the funniest people I've ever met. And I was lucky enough to speak to her many, many years ago, and I have invited her back on the pod to talk about her new collection of essays, Quietly Hostile, probably one of the best titles out there. As well as being a brilliant essayist, Sam is also a TV writer. She worked on Shrill and also on the Sex and the City reboot and Just Like That. So we're going to talk a lot about what it's like to be a TV writer and be in a TV writer's room. Um, And I wanted to let you know that we recorded this before the WGA writer's strike. So we don't get into that. I hope you love this episode. Sam just brings so much life to our world and she is so hilarious. So here we go. The last time we spoke must have been 2017. Oh. I think it was for We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. Yes. What? It, like, we um, should be talking on the regular. What? I mean, not even I on the know. podcast. And I feel like I watch everything you do. And I remember your glasses then. I think you'd like just got these sharp glasses, like Prada ones. Like they were super chic. Ooh. What did I do with those? What happened? Do you still live in New York? So I do live in New York, but I am engaged now. (gasps) So I have much advice as I enter married life, which we can get into. So I'm out on the North Fork of Long Island right now in this cottage that we have and trying to make the the transition out here. He lives Um, out there. He does. He goes back and forth from the city as well, but is out here more. Um, yeah, just so as I was reading the essay about fridges and eating, I thought, oh, my God, we maybe we don't need premarital therapy on the big things, but it's true. The eating. I feel like the big things you you're aligned on, right? Like you wouldn't marry someone who had a uh, completely opposite, like, political, uh, unless you're into that, right? But, like, it's the little stuff and, like, the things you can't know until you live with someone. Like, how many jars? I would never think to ask, how many jars of mustard are in your fridge? And I should have because, like, my wife has, like, 14 different mustards that 
all seem to do the same thing, but they're all <laughs> required to be in the fridge. And it's like, that is the, like, who, do you notice when the toilet paper is low? Like that, those are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking each other before marriage. So we know, you know, what to, what to expect and whether or not that's something we want to sign up for. No, I, this one thing is that Anthony is his name. He tries to sneak turnips into a stew or into a dish. And I think, you know, they bug me. Why? There's some dyna- there's something going on and the turnip is the main, you know, character in some like psychodrama <laughs> we're having. <laughs> you hate them and he likes them? Yes, but I don't even think he likes them he's just so much. You? I think he's learnt that I don't like them. So sometimes they're just put in there. So we have to get to the bottom of that. I I actually don't hate them and now it's kind of a joke, but you know, we gotta we've gotta work that out before we say I do. No, you (laughs) you really do. Okay, we're gonna We could have like a you and I are gonna write a very specific relationship pamphlet. It's not gonna be a whole book, but pamphlet about what to ask or what to do before you commit your entire life to someone who's going to get on your nerves. I'm like, that's natural, but, you know, maybe we could help them get on our nerves less. (laughs) My mind is going to so many places, and I think I can't air all our dirty laundry (laughs) on this podcast with you and work through it. You you hate what? You hate my mom? No, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I love Janie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I have a sister named Janie. So his mom's obviously great. My sister, not so much, but. Well, yeah, I read about <laughs> read about that in one of the essays. Yeah. I mean, my way into this book was reading that New Yorker essay, um, the party one. And like, well, how are you feeling? Are you, you're about to go on a book tour, which sounds I'm doing, kind of frightening. Oh, I know. It's been a long time. Like the, my last book came out it, like truly two minutes before lockdown, right? So I couldn't go anywhere, which was like a dream. I did like virtual everything uh, through my local bookstore. We mailed books to people and I could still like draw pictures of rectums or whatever it is I draw in these <laughs> books. <laughs> um, so like that was great. Although I do, I mean, I love to be in a room full of people who love me. Don't get me wrong. But it is a little daunting because I haven't done it in such a long time. And the plane of it all, the like, you know, I knock wood have not gotten COVID ever. And I'm not trying to do it to sell (laughs) these books. But um, I'm I'm ready to see a few people. I I've broken up the tour. I was gonna do it all now, but I can't. Um, so I'm gonna do a little New York, Philly, Chicago, and then in the fall, Lindy West and I are going to do a driving tour, which oh, 
will be great. We tried to find a the bus best. <laughs> to like put our faces on the side or not. We random house tried to find a bus, but they couldn't maybe by the fall we'll get like, I don't know, a hot dog, the Oscar Mayer wiener mobile or something. And we can drive that. I path. think you just have to put that request out on social yeah, no, and people sure. would be honored to have their bus <laughs> transformed. Can you, I mean, I want to find one for you just so I can come. I'll drive it. I'll drive it now. I'm thinking. Yes. So I'm, uh, I got it. It's, I'm fairly easy at like getting back into the groove, you know, like once on stage. But the hard part for me, which I am like currently drowning in, is the like, what do what do I wear? You know, like how do I not look stupid in front of people? I have not. I was just talking to someone this morning about how, you know, when you're like in your twenties, people are like, turn thirty, everything shakes out, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. And they're like, turn, okay, wait. When you're forty, then you're really gonna feel comfortable in your skin. You're gonna know yourself. Blah blah blah. I am 43 has not happened yet. And so like part of that is when I know I'm going to see people, I just, I'm like, everything I have is terrible. Nothing looks good on me. I don't have any clothes and I do have clothes, but I have ordered different clothes and, uh, and am currently in the like, how do I present myself to the world? phase of this. I think that's a really important part because that anxiety that can happen before an event when you're throwing, like everything becomes a complete chaos in a room. It just derails everything. Yes. Yeah. What about the, and just like that wardrobe people can someone like help you oh <laughs> like you God. might you might come out with like a fuchsia bow hats but but you could do that they'd be what great. i have at my disposal you molly now i'm sure molly is well no we're done shooting maybe she's free maybe i'll hit her up and be like um can you how much does it cost for you to style me? And can you bill that to HBO and not me? Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. No, but I on think that that's a- as a non-fashion person, that's why I don't go to set. I did not go to set because I did not be around those beautiful people in their chic clothes. And I'm like wearing a garbage bag with. No, but that shouldn't be a reason not to go and. <laughs> on something you created it uh you know set is intimidating as a writer because like I don't know the ins and outs right I don't know like I kind of know what a gaffer is but come on not really so I don't really know any of the like practical stuff and I could pitch jokes I'm sure they would love if I was there to be like that joke sucks uh here's a different one but it's so intimidating like all everyone is like so famous and put together and like smells good and looks nice that I'm like I don't want to like get any of my dirt 
<laughs> the just the Duh. dark cloud that surrounds me, uh, like the little kid in Peanuts. Um, I don't want to get that on them. It and also like that's my funny answer, but my serious answer is set is very boring and very long. And they don't need me sitting there for 12 hours a day falling asleep. <laughs> well, also, you might not want them to get used to you being there, right? right? Because then you don't want to be called back right. for that. Right. Yeah. And HBO well. was like very clear that my contract does not include <laughs> getting paid to be on set. So I was like, okay, well, we understand each other. I will be in Michigan and you guys have a great time uh filming in new york i mean but you you also know that new york is not really my town i well i'm gonna reserve (laughs) ideas about new york now because i feel like it's such a complicated place but i mean what does it feel like to create a show that feels so quintessentially new york and then get to be in michigan but also get to watch something and watch how people react to it. That distance might be nice. It is, because I'm not, like, steeped, you know, I'm not walking past the bodega with, like, you know, pictures of the show on the front of the newspaper or whatever, right? Like, it's, it's a much smaller deal here. I, so I had only worked on <laughs> much smaller things before I worked on in just like that and so I truly and this it makes me feel foolish to say it but it's true I truly did not anticipate I I don't think I understood that like everyone was gonna watch this and have opinions about it and whatever and I that to me was just like so overwhelming. The New York of it all, listen, there are New Yorkers who work on the show who can make it New Yorky. I wasn't there for that. So it didn't, and I know, like, I started watching the show, I think it, I was 19 when it came out, and I have been a devoted watcher, you know, of over and over and over episodes. Um, So I felt like I really knew the characters and like everyone in the writer's room, like Michael Patrick King is just like the funniest. Like he, I'm, he's so quick and he's so funny. Um, And it, and everyone is like so nice and like welcoming that that didn't feel weird at all. So it was just like, bring your ideas. Every one of them is, uh, perfect. Just keep pitching stuff. You're great. So like that felt good. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to come up with any New York stuff. I, I wouldn't have been able to. The reaction, I, I was so, I really was caught off guard by, okay, here's the thing about the internet and the world right now that one of the many things that I have a problem with, but it's like, you never know who means what they're saying or who anyone is. Right. So like the deluge of opinions, about it's like, are those bots? Are those children? Are those, 
people who are just saying something to be funny, but they don't mean it. And it only happens when you're when it's a like big thing. This was my first time um, kind of like being being under the microscope on something like this big and hearing all the reactions and all that stuff. And it was it the, after season one, it was like hard because I was like so emotionally tied to it. There's something about. It's interesting. People are always like, oh, how can you like tell so much in your books? Like, how can you be so personal? I feel much less uh, protective of my own life than I do of like fictional characters that, you know, that I have dreamed up things for them to be doing. Um, and this is not to say that anything was like on me in terms of the show. It was really, it was bracing. It was like a wake up call for me. I don't know how, I mean, I know how I got through it. I got off Twitter. I uh, changed all my Instagram settings so people couldn't tag me. Like I, I wrote it in the book, but like some lady tagged me calling me a murderer because Mr. Big died in the first episode. And I was like, murderer. You know what I mean? Like, murderer? That is not anything you ever expect for anyone on the internet to say at all, let alone about, like, a fictional character that you didn't invent. So, like, having that kind of visibility and that sort of, like, oh, they added black and brown people clearly everything we hate about the show comes from the new black and brown people. And I was like, I just want to, and there's no way to be like, I didn't invent that. I didn't write that scene that you hated. I didn't, you know, like there's a chain of people and executives above me who okay all these things. Uh, but uh, like I was a, a visible person that people could uh, lash out at and that happened. But it's all right, you know. We'll we'll see the new seasons coming out next month. We'll see if uh, people continue to hate my guts. <laughs> well, it's also the type of thing where people can say they don't like it or they don't like a scene, but they watch the yes. thing, don't they? And we know they keep watching. Like, that so the numbers, watch. yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's don't I lie. Think that's what's hard for me too and this is like in general not just not specifically about this but like not to be a Pollyanna about it but when people are like disingenuous about a, a, a piece of art books whatever it's just like it makes it that much harder as either the person who made it or another person who wants to participate in it. Like, it's like, I don't know if that was actually bad or if you just like hate this publisher. And so you're shitting on the book. It just, it makes like recommendate. I think like the sweet shit about being connected online is like, Oh, you watched a thing. I'll watch that thing. Oh, you listened to an album. I'll listen to that. You loved it. I love it. But like when people are not honest, <laughs> then it just it makes well, things unnecessarily difficult. Well, I think it's coming back to your first essay. I like it. Yes. 
just saying, you know what? I like it. Yeah. It's Angela. Can you like tell us a bit about that and why? Yes. I think that is so incredibly helpful and powerful for people. And I heard you talking about it first um, with Glennon Doyle and Abby uh-huh. Wambach, who I just adore. And after you talk about this, you have to tell the story of how you became friends with them because I was on a bus laughing. Wait, oh, when they were at that soccer game? <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, the internet is big, but it's also very small. And I had been, I think Glennon and I were like, we followed each other on Twitter, maybe. I don't know how we first like connected online, but we did. And I ended up, and she's very generous and like gave me her phone number and her email. And I promise you that I am not typically an abuser of phone numbers or emails. So I was in the work in progress writer's room, which was very queer, right? Like extremely gay. And to impress (laughs) one of my coworkers, I was like, um, I have Abby and Glennon's phone number. Like I could FaceTime them. And I did. And it was like the first time ever reaching out. And I was like, uh, could, could y'all say hi to these people I work with who love you and make me look like I have proximity to fame? And they did. They saved me from looking like an asshole. So I am forever indebted to Glennon and Abby for acting like we I were like that. really close friends. <laughs> The, I have one example which didn't work out that well is when I was younger and in LA, I sat next to Robert Pattinson, uh-huh. who was the Twilight uh-huh. guy, at a, in a casting. And he was so lovely. He, this was before anything. And he, we were chatting. He was like, you're Australian. He goes, I'm looking for someone for one of my short films. And we swapped phone numbers to, he was like, you know, we'll connect that sounds great anyway almost like a month later I saw him at a party and he was flanked by you know the agents and then this and then that because I guess he may have shot Twilight but didn't yeah, yeah. you know they didn't know anyway cut to like eight years later I'm in New York and I am trying to impress I think a, co- a colleague as well <laughs> And I was like, well, when I was at Cosmo, I was like, well, well, you know, I have this story and I still have his number <laughs> and we called oh it, God. but it didn't, it wasn't his number anymore. Oh. And then I was like, damn it. But a guy did answer, but it was obviously not, not him. Oh. And so he must've changed numbers after the fame. Did he yeah, hear your voice and him. propose? Because you know how I feel about your voice. I would have been <laughs> if like, only, oh, no, no, that no, might have been. Up. I'll be whoever you want me to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, but that, I just love that story so much about Glennon and Abby because they were, it just, they were such good sports. Yes. And it kind of, if you roll with it, then you're like, oh, okay, we're done here. <laughs> we forged a bond. Yes. And I was like, for. Uh, Abby texted me once and was like, 
first of all, getting a text, I almost threw up. Um, but she texted me once and was like, hey, I was listening to your audiobook while running. And then, and you know, I don't know them that well, right? So I, of course, being me, wrote back, what's running? I've never heard of it. <laughs> and then I was like, then she like took a long time to respond. And I was like, that's it. I fucked up. I made a dumb joke. No. She thinks, I don't know. She Maybe she thinks I'm making fun of her. But then she did text back and was like, ha ha. And I was like, whew. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to tell you about I Like It. Tell us about it because I've already been thinking of how I can use it and when. And so we need everyone to just embrace <laughs> okay, this. Okay, good. I uh, am easily shamed and like I feel shame all the time and I'm always trying to like free myself of it because it's truly like the most useless emotion in in some cases. It's good for people that like have the kind of shame that prevents them from humiliating themselves in public, but feeling bad about who they are or what they like is a waste of time for everyone. So uh, the story I put in the book, which is real, our neighbor wanted a, a dry cleaner recommendation. And I was like, uh, this is the one I go to. I wasn't like, I love this one. I swear by this. I wouldn't let anyone else touch my clothes. I was just like, I go here. It's close to where I take mm -hmm. the dog to daycare. I go here. So like, I don't even know how much later, weeks, months, who knows. She was at the door and like talking about something else. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then she's like, oh my, by the way, that oh. the mall where you go to the dry cleaner is so depressing. And my instinct in that moment was to apologize, right? Like, and you know, I don't even know what I would have said. Like, oh, I'm sorry you had to look at those ugly bricks or whatever it was. And I was just like, it, there was like something in my brain that was like, don't apologize to this person. Like, why is she trying to have power over you? You know, like I'm saying all this while she's like blathering at me from the porch. And then she like did the thing where she stopped and waited for me to apologize or make an excuse and I just was like I like it and she <laughs> didn't I just the jaw you could hear it shatter as it hit her breastplate and I just kept saying like I like it it's been good for me I like it and there's nothing no one can argue with you about what you like and you don't owe anyone an explanation for the things you like. And so then you're just, and like, you have to sort of be comfortable with a little bit of awkwardness, but you should, because <laughs> you should be comfortable because you're winning, right? If you pull out, I like yes. it, you've won the debate. And so I, we both just sort of stood there and I was just like, yeah, I like that strip mall. And honestly, it's, it's fine. Like, Okay, I would go in. No, that's not the point. But since she talks shit about it, I have to act like it's the greatest dry cleaner I've ever been to in my life. So I was like, ah, 
I love it. They do such a good job. <laughs> also, like the yogurt spot in the mall. Mmm, delicious. You know, I don't care about the frozen yogurt spot in the strip mall. But like for my purposes, it was perfect. Be like, yeah, I love everything over there. I have never wanted, now in my youth ever, wanted to like stop someone from doing a thing they want to do. I'm sure you've met people who are like, oh, that book, you're reading. And it's like, I don't give a fuck what you read. Does that make you happy? Well, great. Read that. Or like, just like being judgmental about things like low stakes television watching. That's gross. And if you do it to me, I'm going to embarrass you by just being like, I love it. Oh, you hate that show? I think it's great. I watched every episode six times. It's great. Yeah, also talked about is the idea of the expert and like what you're an expert in is your life. And so you will write about your life. And we are in this moment of everyone having an opinion on every current event that happens without actually knowing what really is happening in the news or foreign policy Uh, or any of these things, but there seems like this pressure to respond online. I'm like, there's no need. No. And I feel like it's hard to even express some opinions that you, you know, you need to work through. Yeah. But unless you have kind of a crew of people who are like, I'm not going to judge you. Let's just talk, talk this through. Mm -hmm. But you certainly can't do that online. Yeah. Yeah. There's like no room for you to learn and grow, which again, it, it it just is it's so hard you know what I mean if you have to be locked into the person you were yesterday and a week ago and a year ago and when you were 15 it's like well I no one's you know (laughs) jumps out of the womb like perfectly progressive and no you know having the appropriate stance on everything it's like we got to learn that. And even as adults, we got to learn that. The the sort of like, you're good, you're not good is so, uh, I don't want to say, it just is like disheartening to me. You know, I feel like we miss a lot when you just dismiss people. And like, maybe you miss a lot when you laud someone who you haven't dug that deeply into. You know what I mean? It's it's a mess. In terms of the writing for film and TV and the writer's room, are you going into any physical writer's room now? And does that ever help? Not what ha- Pretty much I'm like, how the hell do people, what are they like? <laughs> I still work adjacent to Hollywood and I am still, like it racks my brain. Like I got a script sent on Friday, which I was so excited. It was from a book. And I was still like, how does this work? You know, this is this a studio draft? Like I, oh, what? I feel like that all the time when like, it's like, you know, goldenrod draft, pink draft, blue. I don't know what any of those things mean. It's all just, I'm like, that's for somebody at a higher pay grade than me. I'm not going to worry about it. 
Um, I was in an in-person room in Chicago in like January, February, March, 2020, then the pandemic happened. Right. And that's, you write about that, which was, took me, the anxiety, (laughs) thank you for the anxiety. That's what I'll say, remembering that time. It is is my gift to you. Um, In the room, you know, I've only been in rooms with like, very funny people shrill was in person as well like in 2018 and for me it was just I get so self-conscious that like being in a room with other people I'm like do they can they tell my mind is wandering do I look like I'm paying attention you know and it's like easy to feed off each other but it's also like they can see me in the Zoom writer's room. I mean, Tuka and Birdie was on Zoom and and just like that was on Zoom for both seasons. And it's, I think, because you don't want to sit on a Zoom for eight hours, it was like, we're going to do this in four hours. And instead of like, fucking around and making jokes. We're just going to be working all the time. So the Zoom life really like was working for me. But I do miss, you know, the camaraderie of like being with other people. It's a balance, isn't it? But I can imagine, especially being in Michigan, it helps. You have your own beautiful life at home. Yeah. I love a get in, get out, look at your face, see that you exist and are feeling good, and then go like do my own thing the rest of the day. Well, your your book Meaty was set for adaptation and you write about that in the book as well. Do you feel now like, oh, thank God we could do that so differently than it was in it was being imagined then? I mean, I had an idea that I wanted to write a memoir, like in my 20s. I'm pretty glad that never happened. You know, it never (laughs) came out. Any feelings like that? Seeing the reaction to and just like that, on because it was on TV and everyone watched it, I was like, thank God that the fictional representation of my actual self is never going to be I Angela I don't I don't know what I would do I had a hard enough time like having like when you you can reject anything of mine anytime right I, I have no problem being edited nothing but it and it doesn't like hurt my feelings But when you spend years and years working on a script about yourself and they don't tell you like, this is why we don't want it, right? Like when when you reach the end of the road, throughout the course of it, it's like, well, what if this happened in this act? Or could she, we lost her motivation. Like all that stuff is fine. But when you reach the end of the road and they're like, "Mm, no. No one tells you why, right? And I have learned, like, just from 
you know, being a novice in this industry that like, it could be anything. It could be, uh, they don't have money right now because they paid somebody else or they have three similar shows or they don't want a gay show or they don't want a fat show or they, they don't want that. You don't, you don't get any of that. Like no one tells you the why. Um, I just had a project passed on um, and I did get a why, but the why was vague. It was like, we're moving away from half hour comedies. But with meaty, it's like, do you hate the character of me? Do you hate actual me? Am I just like the shittiest script writer? You know, like I turned all of that inside because you don't know. Um, and so like that, that part is tough. Like having your, your thing analyzed by like at least the people who are going to make it, but then to get the audience reaction. And so I just was like, thank God we are not making this show. I could not live through seeing <laughs> all of the reaction or no reaction. Who knows? Like maybe no one would watch it and that would be stressful too. And then like keep a brave face while not defending myself. It's, I couldn't do it. So the universe knew that I did not need to have a show about myself. So from now on, I'm going to write shows that, that are uh, vaguely about, they're like me, but in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a brutal business. Yeah. The, the writing about yourself and you're right though, that the essays have so much context and they're, you have control mm. because it's truly your words. Yeah. You can shape them. They're, there's a reason behind everything mm -hmm. and it, they're so beautiful to read, but the other forms of entertainment say are digested quite on more, far more face value. Mm -hmm. That's why I love a podcast conversation that isn't edited for these, you know, weird clips, yeah. but we get the story yeah. and therefore pretty much most people are, you know, thoughtful in their own way. You might not agree with it, um, but we don't have much time. I feel like we've just chatted like friends, I and I'm know. like, did we? That's I'm like, like, did we even? Did we? I'm like, I can't even. Like, what did we talk about? But in the best yeah. way, in the best way. I, mean, I don't want but, your readers to be mad if they have actual questions about this book. They are going to be no. I ref they could just I, listen to us chatting. Also, the best thing is to listen and then want to read it for themselves, but I do have to ask my usual oh, last please, question. Ask me whatever you want. What lights you up? Man, what is lighting me up? I, you mean like a specific thing or? Yeah, okay. could be anything. I'm going to give you. It's almost like when you go to a psychic and they say, Billy. And you're like, oh, that Billy from my, <laughs> you know, high school <laughs> hockey class. And they're like, Okay, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> whew, gotcha. thank, thank yeah. God. Okay, I'm going to give some recommendations since I talked about Ooh. liking things. Good. The show Jury Duty. It is yes. on Amazon Prime. I haven't finished. Have you finished? 
No, no. I haven't oh, started. That's why I'm what? glad. Please. As soon as we hang up, <laughs> I mean, I know it's the, I am. the work day, but as soon as we hang up, you must watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. It Great. is, I don't want to give anything away. It <sighs> is so funny. And you know what? My wife loves it. And she hates everything. So when she loves a show, I'm like, oh, this must really be a good show. It, it I cry laughing every episode. It's so, it's like charming and like sweet, but not saccharine. It's so funny. And this is from a person, I will say that I uh, don't love improv. And it's a ton of people doing improv work impeccably well. And it's so, so funny. So that is lighting me up. Um, I, what am I reading? Oh, I'm reading this book called Big Swiss. Oh, I've that? heard all about this. I love the cover so me much. Too. It is like, I'm in a real, like, in, in a real, like, wanting to find kind of female anti-heroes kind of, you know, like, I just want to read stuff about, like, gross women who are, like, mean or disappointing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we read so many, like, oh, she's sweet. And the, I want a little, like, oh, is she out of her mind? And so the main character of Big Swiss is giving me a little of that. Um, and it's like sexy and gay. It's so good. So those two things are like a That's match brilliant. under my butt. They are lighting me up. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to come and see you at your one of your New York events. And I'll I will, look in the background. I will hear that smooth, the smooth dulcet tones. And I'll be like, Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Allmeyer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Rodofsky wrote the theme music. See you in two weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.